You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you as we continue our series on Hollywood Jesus. I had the great fortune uh, this week to be in Nashville, Tennessee, recording uh, the DVD for the next book that's coming out. Uh, it's called The Grace of Les Miserables. And it's going to be uh, Abingdon Press's Lenten offering uh, next year. And I wanted to say thank you to the staff and to the volunteers to uh, allow me to do these kind of projects for the, the Church Universal, the United Methodist Church, uh, and be away for a couple of days uh, to do these kind of things. So thank you to the staff uh, and to the volunteers uh, to make that possible. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when we started this series, we talked about Jesus movies in that portray the gospel on screen. They simply take the written word and change the medium and portray the gospel on screen. Uh, In those instances, when scripture meets script, decisions have to be made. Who should play Jesus? What should Jesus look like? Which Jesus do we lean into? Meaning, uh, we're called to, to preach Christ in all of Christ's offices, priest, prophet, king, and servant, but there's only so much time, right? The spirit doesn't tire, but we do. So when we proclaim who Jesus is, which one do we lean? Do we lean into Jesus being a priest or prophet or king or servant? In other words, when we profess our faith, into which Jesus do we lean? And being made aware that we lean into a particular picture of Jesus, one that makes the most sense to us. It's all Jesus, right? Priest, prophet, king, and servant, it is all Jesus. But we tend to lean into one of those lenses, one of those portraits of Jesus when we share our faith. And then last week, we didn't talk about movies that are the gospel on the screen. We talk about movies that portray Jesus. They're not necessarily trying to proclaim the gospel. Like in the first week, Jesus of Nazareth, greatest story ever told, son of God. These are movies that try to portray the gospel itself on screen. Last week, we took a little bit of a different uh, angle. And instead of a gospel on the screen uh, lesson, it is movies that proclaim Jesus. For example, Jesus Christ Superstar, Godspell, uh, Jesus of Montreal, which is a real thing. Uh, It's a real movie. It's called Jesus of Montreal. Not a family movie. Don't invite the kids and pop popcorn for Jesus of Montreal. Uh, But it is a good movie about portraying who Jesus is. These movies don't try to proclaim the gospel on screen. It's a picture of who Jesus is. And the lesson therein is we are called to be imitators of Christ. Not necessarily imitators of the first century. There's a difference. Christ is eternal. Jesus was not. Christ, the Logos, the wisdom of God is forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, the incarnation, the word made flesh, lived in a particular time, in a particular place in first century Palestine. We are called to be imitators of Christ, not necessarily imitators of the first century. These movies, these stories are like stories that you simply hear. But sometimes the story we we need is the story that we overhear. We'll talk about that in just a second. Our gospel lesson today, our scripture lesson today, happens to be from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, the 29th verse. It'll be on the screens, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
In the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus leads the disciples to Mount Olivet, and he blesses them, and then he ascends into heaven. And the disciples are there with their mouth open, staring up at the sky, like, wow, did you see what just happened? Uh, And then two men, or angels, or or messengers of God, appeared and said, why are you staring at the sky? Jesus gave you a job to do. Go and do it. But the question then is, the disciples knew how to bring people to Jesus when Jesus was there. (laughs) How do we now bring people to Jesus when Jesus is not? Meaning, Jesus has ascended, What does this mean for us now? It's one thing to invite people to Jesus when Jesus is standing there. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But now that Jesus has ascended, what are we supposed to do? It's this Jesus versus Christ moment. Jesus, the God made flesh, has ascended to the heavens and now we are living with with Christ. This spirit of God that is within us. And what does that look like? I mean, in the New Testament... Uh, details uh, uh, three round about three years, depending on which gospel you read, of Jesus' ministry. But then there are 2,000 years of ministry without Jesus walking with us. What does that look like? The movies that we're going to talk about this Sunday is kind of like that. It's moving into what a Christ symbol is as opposed to a Jesus symbol. Godspell, Jesus Christ Superstar, Jesus of Nazareth. These are all Jesus symbols. And now we're going to talk about what it means to see a Christ symbol on the screen, and out in the world. Jesus versus Christ. You know, a couple years ago, several years ago, uh, I brought a youth group to go see Thor in the movie theaters. You know Thor, the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And there were some folks who were really angry with me because I had brought the youth group to go see a movie about a pagan god. (sighs) All right, so... um, so, but here's the story, right? Here's the story. Thor is the son of God, son of Odin, and lived in Asgard. Uh, and then Odin stripped him of his power, sent him to Earth, 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 sent him to Earth. Uh, and then, uh, uh, long story short, spoilers, he sacrifices himself and then regains his power and gets Mjolnir and saves humanity, saves the planet. Uh, if, you, if you're watching closely, Mjolnir, his, his hammer, has the symbol of the Trinity, on it. Hmm. Here's a story about the son of a god sent to earth, dies, and then regains power, and then saves the planet through the, through the power of the spirit. Or thunder and lightning, which is also equally as cool, right? Um, it is our story. And sometimes when we get, bleh, bleh, I don't want the youth group to go see a story about a pagan god, you're going to miss something probably valuable. You know, and if, if you didn't like the youth group going to see Thor, then you probably wouldn't like Jesus' parables, because Jesus doesn't mention God in those either. Uh, Jesus, tell us about the nature of God. Okay, a sower went to sow some seeds. A father had two sons. Um, a, master, a master has a vineyard. A master gave out talents. These are stories. These movies are like parables proclaiming a truth even if it doesn't mention the person of Jesus. I like to think about music in this way. Just because it doesn't mention Jesus doesn't mean it's a bad song. And conversely, just because it does mention Jesus doesn't mean it's a good song, right? Consider the first verse of Amazing Grace. Doesn't mention the person of Jesus in that song. And yet it is the cornerstone of our expression of our faith. These movies, at least this week when we're talking about them, Uh, are like these parables. They are stories pointing us to God even if God isn't mentioned. So we're looking at Christ figures 
not necessarily Jesus figures, Savior figures, as opposed to retelling the story of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, like, for example, Disney's Wally. There is almost no more Christocentric movie than Disney's Wally. Uh, don't at me. All right, so it's, it's a story of a robot, right? And he's cleaning up the earth because humanity has screwed it up. Uh, and while he's there, there's a probe that is sent from uh, where the humans are living. They're living on a cruise ship called the Axiom, and it's out in the stars, and it's out there. And they send a probe to search for life. The probe's name is Eve. Don't miss that. So Eve is searching for life on Earth, right? And, and, and Wally and Eve are there, and there's some shenanigans and, and some fun. Uh, and then there's a plant that's growing, so there's life. They've discovered life on Earth, and Eve sends word back to the Axiom, uh, and, and, and the robot goes back, and, and Wally kind of hitches a ride back to the Axiom. And here on the Axiom, humanity has been in space for several generations. They've lost all of their muscle mass, and they perpetually sit in chairs with just a screen in front of their face, and they don't ever want to get up. You know, like my children at my home, they, they have, they're always on the screen and don't want to get up and do anything. Uh, this is humanity. They're, they're there, and uh, while they're there, Wally, um, f- by an accident, uh, knocks a woman out of her hover chair. And she looks up. And she sees the stars. And she's never seen the stars before. And then I love it. Later she goes, oh, we have a pool? When, when did we get a pool? Right? She has never, or in other words, Wally is recovering the eyesight of the blind in that moment. Wally is coming from somewhere else where he, and to be with humanity. And one of the first things he does is opens their eyes to what's around them. Later, Wally is arrested and he's put in robot jail. Uh, and then again, kind of by accident, he releases all of the robots uh, from imprisonment. So he, gives, he, releases, he releases the captives. So already in the story, he's offered recovery of sight to the blind and release to the captives. And then at the end of the story, spoiler alert, but that's on you. It's been out for a while. Um, he's carrying this, this plant in his uh, belly, so to speak. Uh, and in order for humans to come back to Earth, you have to put this plant in this machine... Uh, And he's trying to do that, but the robots are controlling everything, uh, and they don't want humanity to go back to Earth. So those that are controlling everything actually crush Wally in this machine as he is trying to offer life. Where have you heard that before, where the powers and principalities, while one is trying to offer life, he is crushed? And then, of course, it's a Disney movie, so uh, Wally comes back, uh, but he, he forgets who he is. He doesn't recognize himself. And then Eve comes to him, and Eve gets very, very close, and then there's the spark that happens between the two, and he is restored, his memory is restored, and we're coming down to the ground, right? Humanity comes back to earth, and they repopulate the earth, and things are good, and Wally does this. Here's the story of Wally. He goes to where humanity is. He offers sight to the blind. He releases the captives. He offers them life. He is crushed while doing it. He is rebuilt and then leads humanity to new life. Where have we heard that story before? It is our story. It's a great story. Movies are powerful tools because if you ask a seven-year-old, give me the highlights of Jesus' story, you you might get some. Ask that same seven-year-old, tell me the story of Disney's Wally, and they will talk your ear off for the next 45 minutes. These movies are seeds planting seeds for the gospel to grow. Sometimes these movies are the language that people need to hear before they dive into the mystery of God and the gospel story. Of course, 
You have to connect the dots. Don't leave it at Wally and say, Wally is Jesus. Jesus is a robot? That's weird. Like, you have to, there's continuing ed that has to happen, right? You have to connect the dots. But sometimes a movie like Wally is someone's first blush at the seed that is the gospel that will grow. Wally's a great way to introduce somebody to the story of Jesus. Star Wars is another one, right? Uh, Luke Skywalker is born on Tatooine, this planet uh, out, out there uh, on the outskirts, and Obi-Wan Kenobi gives him a lightsaber and talks about the Force, this power that leads all to good, right? There's light and dark. You know, those who love Star Wars but are also liturgical nerds, when you say, the Force be with you, they say... And also with you, right? It, it writes itself after a while, you know? The Force be with you and also with you, right? And of course, when you dive into the story of Star Wars, <coughs> you begin to realize that it's really the story of the redemption of Anakin at the end of it. It's actually not really about Luke Skywalker. It's about Darth Vader and, and, and relearning his name and being redeemed at the end. Of, I want to look on you with my own eyes. Right? And he's redeemed and becomes a force ghost, and it's great. Uh, and then, of course, Star Wars, they made the prequels, which just screws everything up. You know, they, they, they were so good. Uh, and then they, they had to screw it up with the, the prequels. So Star Wars, Lord of the Rings is another one of these examples. It's not a Jesus movie, but it proclaims a lot about our faith and about our story and God. Um, you know, the one ring to rule them all, you know, my precious, the, the, the ring of power, right? Um, It's a very powerful, even though it doesn't say it ever, really, in the movies, this ring is a symbol of sin. Oh, it'll give you great power, but it will also destroy you. And the person that wears the ring, the longer they wear it, the more they are no longer themselves. And they begin to disappear, so to speak. Right? And even, imagine this deal. Uh, hey, Xander, take the ring and throw it into Mount Doom, the fires of Mount Doom, and you will destroy evil forever. It's like the easiest thing. You will destroy evil forever if you just throw the ring into the fires of Mount Doom, and they can't. They get up there and throw it in. No. And he wears it because he's tempted by the power. Right? That's when Paul says, when he talks about sin, sin makes me do the things I don't want to do, but incapable of doing the things I want to. That's what the ring does. They can't put it down. They can't throw it away. It takes Smeagol, uh, it takes Gollum to take it out of their hands and throw himself into the fire in order to get it done. The power of sin. We could talk about the nature of sin and we could read through scripture or we can also read this story and recognize maybe in a different way the power of temptation and the power of sin, something we just can't we, can't, we could end evil forever, but I just can't let it go. Right? Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. These movies communicate a great deal about our faith, even though they don't mention Jesus in the movie. Right? Lord of the Rings is not meant to be a Jesus movie, nor is Wally or Star Wars, but that story should sound familiar to us. And it's a way in which we can communicate Christ to those who are hungry for it. I want to show you two clips uh, of two movies. Uh, they're Disney movies. Shocker. Glad you're sitting down uh, for that one. The first is from, uh, as an example of how we can talk about our faith um, in a way that is overheard. I forgot to explain that. Uh, the difference between a story that is heard versus a story that is overheard. 
A story that is heard is the one you're hearing now. You're the audience. I'm speaking to you. The story that you hear, right? The story that you overhear has the feeling as if you have your ear to the door and you don't think you're supposed to be hearing what's on the other side of the door. That's the story you actually memorize word for word. For example, if we had a, a youth group meeting and I said, no parents allowed. I, only, I, I want to talk to the youth and only the youth, and it's really important. Guess what mom and dad are going to ask when the youth gets home? Give us every word. What did the pastor say, right? I could say the exact same thing in a parent meeting and it won't nearly have the same effect, right? I only want to talk to the youth, and that's when the parents' ears perk up. What is he going to say? What is that crazy pastor going to tell my kid without me being there, right? That's the story. The story that you overhear is much more memorable because you don't think you're supposed to be hearing it, right? That conversation on the other side of the door that you shouldn't be a part of, you remember every word of that. You can't remember what your parents tell you, but you can remember what they say (laughs) in the next room, right? Those are what these movies are. They're stories that we overhear. Because if I were to say, um, we're going to watch a Jesus movie, uh, we would get a particular audience. But if I said, hey, we're watching Lord of the Rings, that would be another, maybe, uh, audience. We're also proclaiming the gospel there as well. So two movies, uh, two movie clips uh, that I want to show you to communicate overhearing a story. Uh, the first is from uh, Ratatouille, and uh, one of the last scenes of Ratatouille. Uh, Disney's Ratatouille, have you seen this? By the way, there's going to be a new ride uh, at, at the France Pavilion, uh, Ratatouille ride. Anyway, um, so the, um, Ratatouille, the movie... Anton Ego is a food critic, and he wants to destroy uh, the restaurant. So he's ready to give it a terrible review. And they serve him a French peasant's dish, which is ratatouille. And the former chef is saying, what are you doing? This is a, it's like serving Chef Boyardee. Like, this is a French, this is a peasant's dish. And you're serving this to this world-renowned food critic? And they do. And he takes one bite of it, and he is immediately transported back to his childhood, with his mother serving the same dish. This small clip communicates an awful lot about what Holy Communion is. Breaking bread with one another in a way that brings us home with Christ. It changes his life. This one bite of this dish changes his life. He was hell-bent in destroying it, and after taking one bite, he now wants to support it. This is the kind of grace that we receive around the Lord's table. Even though this clip is not about communion, it totally is about what happens at communion. So let's take a look at it. Ratatouille? They must be joking.
I can't remember the last time I asked a waiter to give my compliments to the chef. And now I find myself in the extraordinary position of having my waiter be the chef. Thanks, but I'm just your waiter tonight. Then who do I thank for the meal? Uh, excuse me a minute? You must be the chef. If you wish to meet the chef, you will have to wait until all the other customers have gone. So be it. So notice he's uh, he's eating there. There's one single dish and also a cup of, of red wine. Don't miss that. Uh, one single bite changes, changes his life. Uh, when we gather around the Lord's table, it is a table of grace, and it should taste like home. And our bitterness and our anger should melt away. It's not a scene about communion, but it's totally a scene about communion. Uh, it's a scene about remembering uh, who you are and whose you are. And I can't talk about remember who you are without showing a scene from The Lion King, uh, which reveals another means of grace, baptism. Uh, it's a great scene uh, where, where Simba goes down to the water, and he first looks in the water, and he sees only his reflection. But then Rafiki says, look harder. And he does, and he sees his father in the water. And then, of course, he sees in the clouds Mufasa coming Remember who you are. You have forgotten me, therefore you have forgotten who you are. Take your place in the circle of life. You know, don't leave me. And then he ascends kind of into heaven and and leaving Simba there. This is a story about baptism, of remembering who you are and remembering whose you are. And and it's, it's calling you to take your place using the gifts that God has given you. So let's take a look. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. Look inside yourself, Simba. 
you are more than what you have become. You must take your place in the circle of life. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. No! Please! Don't leave me! Father! You have forgotten who you are and therefore have forgotten me. You are more than what you have become. Remember who you are. That'll preach. <laughs> he lives in you. Remember who you are and be more than what you've become. Who are we? We are the body of Christ. Jesus has ascended and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ has no hands but ours. Christ has no feet but ours. We are those tasked with proclaiming the story that people need to hear and also just maybe the story that they need to overhear, like a parable, so that God's story might be memorable and easily shared. We are charged with pointing to Christ who is already in the world. Sometimes we think when we go out to share Christ, we are bringing Christ somewhere. And then we, especially when you go on a mission trip, this makes a lot of sense. You think you're going there to share Christ and then, surprise, you find out that Christ is already there. Christ did not ask your permission to show up. Christ was already there when you arrived. And we are tasked with pointing to that reality. That all things were created through Christ and Christ is in all and works through all. And we are tasked with pointing to that truth and that reality, the Christ that goes before us, alongside us, beside us, beside us, and also in spite of us. So what story do people need to hear from you? Yes, of course, we can pro- proclaim the gospel. Yes, we can tell them about Jesus. But our thoughts, our words, our deeds is the story that is overheard. You know, like on a Tuesday when you're at the store or in the office and you're not reading out of the Bible, that story that you project with the way that you present yourself is the story that is overheard and is often heard louder than the story you mean to tell. What is the story that we are called to tell that is overheard every day in the way that we live? Even when Jesus' name isn't present, Christ can be seen. That's the goal. Even when you're not saying the name of Jesus, can Christ still be seen in you? Because he lives in you. And that's a line from the Lion King. (laughs) And also the Bible. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us to be storytellers. As evangelists, we are called to tell the story that people need to hear, to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to also tell the story of the gospel. But Father, help us by the power of the Holy Spirit in the story that is overheard, that is often heard more loudly, and is often more influential. The way we carry ourselves each and every day, that overheard story in which we still proclaim Christ. 
Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Help us to be those servants in the world. After Jesus ascended, we realized that it is now our job to point to Christ in the power of the Spirit. So, Father, give us the courage to do it and remain with us as we tell your story. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.